0: This uh, A wee quick uh, summary of where we got to last week. We're in Isaiah 6 again today. Uh, and I quoted to you some, something that somebody said at St. John's Orangefield the week before when Janice and I were slipped away off to another church. They said, Jesus died on the cross to make everything possible. To make everything possible. Why settle for less? And thank you, Johnny, for picking that up in our introduction this morning. Let let me read to you again uh, the passage of Scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, it isn't clear from the passage of Scripture there what Isaiah meant when he said, I saw the Lord. Was this something he was seeing uh, as some sort of vision in his own mind? Was it something that he was actually seeing in the building? Was this there? Um, And next week, when we look at, or not next week, the week after, when we look at this again, um, I am going to suggest that whatever was going on, the other people in the temple weren't seeing it. And that's an interesting thought. Could something be going on in a church and some people not seeing it? Anyway, but in this one, it's, it's hard for us to know whether it's just Uzziah or whether it's just Isaiah uh, seeing this or, or whether it's something that is physically being manifested around him. But nonetheless, whatever it is, whether it's in his mind or actually in the building. It's a wondrous thing that he's seeing. And he goes on. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So there's a a personal effect on Isaiah at being in this thing. Now uh, hold that and let me take you somewhere else for a wee moment. Uh, Does this mean anything to anybody? Judith Kerr and When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit? Yes. Uh, I brought my copy. I bought this uh, in 2019 Uh, when Hitler stole Pink Rabbit. And the reason I bought it in 2019 was because Judith Kerr died in 2019. Uh, And uh, I wanted the book about her life because I know another book that she's very well known for. She's written loads of books, uh, particularly children's books, and has illustrated many of them herself. But the story of Judith Kerr, um, I, I wanted to read it because I wanted to find out uh, had it anything to do with the other famous story. Um, Judith Kerr was born in Berlin of German-Jewish parents. Her father, Alfred Kerr, a distinguished writer, fiercely attacked the Nazis long before they came to power and the family had to flee Germany in 1933 when Judith was nine years old. Uh, pink rabbit was her, her we sort of favourite toy and she left it behind so this story um, she thought was about, well it's partly a play on that, that um, Hitler came and stole her pink rabbit on her but they fled from the country. The story is based on Judith's own experiences, the last minute escape, village life in Switzerland, the family's refugee existence in Paris and their final arrival in England were all part of her childhood. So, fascinating woman and fascinating story. But what's the other story? And I'm guessing you're all going to know, aren't you? What's the other story? She wrote lots, but what's the famous one? No? When the tiger came to tea. tea. Okay. And it's a story about a family, mum and dad, two children, in a house and they hear a knock on the door and there's a great big tiger And the tiger comes into the house as sort of slightly uninvited, right? So, now, she has never made this connection between the two stories, uh, and I've Googled it and can't find anybody who knows it exactly, but I'm seeing something, maybe I have too active an imagination here, about this unwelcome untamed tiger that comes into the house and eats all the food drinks all the water kind of takes over to the point where the wee family decide that they have to leave and they put their coats on at the end of the story and they go right down the road to a cafe to buy their tea because the tiger ate it all the end of the story they're making their way back home and they're coming home with a great big tin of tiger food uh, in case the tiger comes back Which is a kind of way, I wonder did that linger in our mind. About what happens no matter where we go in the world. Because they went to Paris and had to move on again. Anyway. But I have here. Last week there's still some coins up here. Treasure. Look at this. Okay. The tiger who came to tea. This is mint condition. Still in its box. And the reason I bought this book, because when she died, I think I have treasure here. The tiger who came to tea. I have a signed copy. Imagine. Of this woman. And that story. And I've now got her life story to go along with it. So for £10,000, any of you who wants this, I <laughs> uh, can have it. That's more than a paid. (laughs) Okay, she was just saying. Well I'll throw that in. (laughs) (sighs) Treasure. Why settle for less than a mint condition copy with her signature in it? We have other treasure. Oh, it's gone. Here it is. Right. We have treasure. I bet you every one of us has at least one of these and if you don't have a physical paper one you've probably got one in your phone and one on your laptop I certainly have them in both places this is filled with treasure and it's filled with the signature of the person behind it page after page after page and it's always described as a library of books because it is it's not just one story it's a whole collection of books but right in, in all of our hands is an incredible copy of ancient texts. This, the newest bit of this is 2000 years old. The oldest bit could be 3,000 years old, maybe 3,500 years old, and it's sitting on our shelves, sitting in our pews, sitting on the end of the piano. These ancient texts, I'll guarantee you none of us have ancient texts, anything like that, anywhere else belonging to us. This is an incredible ancient text, and it's like that. It's made up of, there are biographies in it, there are stories not fairy tales, parables we'll call them, uh, stories made up that are full of meaning, It's got history in it. It's got poetry books in it. It's got lyrics of songs in it. Um, It's got wisdom written by Yoda-type people who were putting wisdom of the day down onto uh, manuscripts and scrolls and parchments. Uh, It's been carefully preserved for centuries and centuries, collected, translated, worked on. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic, this thing that we have that sits in all of our houses. Um, Part of the reason why I started with this is the possibility that the tiger who came to tea has something to do, means more when you know the history of the person, something like that. You can start to imagine what some of the stories might mean when you know a wee bit of the history. Well, let me tell you that there are at least six history books in here. 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And they cover a a period of history from 1100 BC to 500 BC, yeah? That's 600 years, that's like from Henry VIII to now. In here in six books, the history section of the library that is the Bible. Now, this is going somewhere. It's not just random, okay? In three chapters in 2 Chronicles, so that's the the final one of those six books. In three chapters, 2 Chronicles chapters 26, 27, and 28, uh, we hear of three kings. Uh, Uzziah, who's in our Bible reading today, became king in 791 BC. Jotham, who's Uzziah's son, became king in 751 BC. And Jotham's son Ahaz became king in 742. So what you actually have there are kings. Uh, You have granddad, dad, and son. Okay. Three generations of the same family. Now, I have shortened the whole three chapters onto that one slide. And I'm sorry if that's hard to see way up the back. So every time there's dots, uh, I've taken out oh verses and verses and verses to give you a quick glimpse of these three kings. You know the way when somebody famous dies and the BBC gives you a potted history on the 6 o'clock news? This is the potted history of Uzziah, Jotham and Ahaz. So let me fly through it. Uzziah, 16 years old, became king. Rebuilt, these words are all in the Bible. I've I've just selected the ones that give you the picture. Rebuilt, restored, reigned for 52 years, sought God, God gave him success, went to war, his fame spread, became very powerful, had a well-trained army, 307,500 men trained. That's, That's a big army. His pride led to downfall, unfaithful to the Lord, entered the temple to burn incense on the altar, That's a no-no, by the way, for kings. Azariah the priest said, it's not right, leave. You've been unfaithful, not honored by God. Leprosy broke out on him, lived in isolation and was excluded from the temple. Jotham, his son, took charge of the palace and the people of the land, faithful to God, but the people continued their corrupt practices. Jotham, buried in the city of David, Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. Ahaz, 20 years old, became king. He reigned for 16 years, did not do what was right, made idols for worshipping the Baals, sacrificed children, detestable practices. Wow. There's a slightly, Jotham, there's a wee brightness in Jotham in the middle there that he was faithful to God. But the general picture around the temple and around the worship of God and around this nation is a downward slide. Yeah. Now, there's the dates when they became king. Uzziah, 16 years old, king, rebuilt, restored, reigned, 452 years. Let me go back. The room is filled with mathematicians. You know when, you're, and when it's BC, before Christ, the numbers go down? Yeah? And then when it gets to AD, they start to go up again, right? That's why the numbers seem to get less. Let me give you another weak clue. Reigned for 52 years, Uzziah. Look at the dates. Somebody? When, when did he die? If you take 50, he reigned for 52 years. 791, if you take 52 away from it. This is tricky, isn't it? Seven. Well, I got 739, yeah, if you take 52 away from it. So what does that mean? It means he was alive when Jotham was king. It means he was alive for the first couple of years of Ahaz being king. Because he had leprosy, he was secluded, he was been put away somewhere, but he was still the king, Yeah? He was alive when these detestable practices, child sacrifices and all, were happening around the temple and all that kind of thing. Our Bible reading begins in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah saw the Lord. So this isn't way back when Uzziah got ill. This is, we've now had two more kings before Uzziah died the nation is in absolute turmoil the worship of God has been turned into something that has the idol worship of the Canaanite Baal gods it has the sacrifice of children going on and can you imagine anything more detestable to the God who in seven, eight hundred years time will lift the children in his arms and bless them whose life was threatened even as he was a child uh, by Herod trying to kill the babies around Bethlehem. Isaiah is in the temple. I'm going to suggest that Isaiah, part of the reason he saw this vision of God, because his heart was longing to see something of God come alive again in this nation. That that's what's going on in him. He has watched Uzziah get bad and then get ill and disappear. He has watched Jotham try to be faithful, but the people continuing in their detestable practices. And then he has seen Ahaz, who has... Yeah. In the year that king Uzziah died, is in the temple, and somehow he's, he encounters the living God. He says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. This is Isaiah's personal testimony. He's writing this down. He's like a sort of political theological commentator, was what the prophets were in their, in their own time. And he says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Now, I think it's very reasonable for Isaiah to cry out, I live among a people of unclean lips, because there were things going on all around him in his world that were just not worthy of God. But I find it fascinating that Isaiah, rather than blaming everybody and everything else out there, starts off by saying, Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's like I contribute to this somehow. I am part of the world that I live in. I'm not separate from it. I'm not above it. I'm not outside of it. I am in it. And everything that's going wrong in our world partly goes wrong inside of me as well. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Look what happens. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Right? This, hmm. there, there's, there's significance in this that I just want to share with you, and then we're going to come to communion. The seraphim flew to Isaiah with a live coal that it had picked up, you know, you can imagine the barbecue tongs or whatever had picked this up and was carrying this, because this thing, this cleansing power, coming to Isaiah, comes direct from God to Isaiah. It may be carried by a seraphim with tongs, but the messenger, the carrier does not contribute to it. This comes from God. When you and I put our hands out today, someone will put the bread in your hand. There are people involved in this. The church, we the church have always been involved as the messenger of the good news. And we've all been in receipt of that from ourselves but it actually comes direct from God. We, the people involved in carrying the message, whether it's in here or out there or wherever you are, it's all God. Everything of power and cleansing, of revival and renewal and restoration comes from God. You and I perhaps help to deliver it but it's God's. And as people on the other side of it, uh, why settle for less? Why settle for a message that comes through people and we buy into them? And you know that thing of I'm a... Well, we have it in the New Testament where Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, I hear some of you say, I follow Paul. And some others say, I follow Apollos and all of that. And we do the same. Uh, We we talk about our background of churches we've been in and things we've done. And as if somehow all of this collects credit for me. Uh, No, it all comes from God. And today, what I want to invite you to do as we come for communion... Is to recognise that I'm a person of unclean lips, and I'm in a world that is filled with people. Whatever unclean lips means for our world, I'm in a world that is full of pain and hurt and struggle. So when you come for communion today, or during the worship, in whatever whatever way this becomes a reality for us. I want to see some things change in my life. I want to see some things change in the life of my wide family. There are things that cause me anxiety and hurt in my family just like you do in yours. Um, there are things in our community and in our city and in our we part of the world that I think are hurtful. They hurt me, they hurt you, they hurt people. I want to see them change. But it begins with me, with my hands open, saying, Lord, would you change me? Let's settle for nothing less than, Lord, would you do your work in me? Finished with one wee story. There's an evangelist, a revival preacher called Gypsy Smith, Told you this before, but just on the off chance that you don't remember every word that I tell you. Um, who uh, went from village to village, town to town, preaching back in the 1800s. And as he approached every town, he had a pattern that he uh, followed at every town. He had a piece of chalk and he drew a circle on the ground. And he got into it and he knelt down and he said, Lord, would you bring revival to this village or this town? but would you begin in this circle? It's kind of like he wasn't prepared to pray something for all of them that he wasn't praying for himself. So that's what we're doing today, or this month, as we go into this year. Lord, would you begin in me? No matter what I've been in the past or how much I think I've achieved for you in the past, would you begin again in me today? Jeffrey. I want you just to be still. Jeffrey's just going to play a little bit. No words. Uh, just settle in this music, and then Sarah's going to come and lead us.